Well, if you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we are continuing our series on Thrive. What does it look like to thrive as a church in trying times? And that is especially uh, applicable when we face suffering. Perhaps nothing really hits us as hard as when life seems to just throw our world upside down. And there's not a person in this room that is exempt from tragedy or suffering or trial. I mean, certainly in this pandemic, we have faced it in a widespread scale. Um, All the chaos in our society, sickness, death, grief. There's been economic fallout. It's risen all sorts of racial tensions. There's been riots in our streets. We've, We've got politics that are just completely askew. But when we talk about suffering and trials, I mean, it shows up in a wide a variety of areas. I mean, even like physical suffering, there's emotional hardship and great difficulty. There's breakdowns in relationships. Sometimes we just go through spiritual problems. And of course, we at times even go through physical health issues. And it seems to take everything out of us. And the question we have to ask is, why does God even allow tragedy and suffering? And how is it that we are supposed to move forward when life seems so heavy. You know, if you do not know how to face and what to do when you face suffering, tragedy, and trial, it's what, I'll tell you what happens. Life starts to get pretty heavy. You feel as if you're almost kind of like traveling in a fog. You can be discouraged, if not depressed. You can even move to a position where you're rather despondent. And once walking in the light, now it seems as if you're in the darkness. And and what can happen is it's like you could even move into a dark night of the soul. And when I talk about suffering and trials, this isn't theoretical. Uh, You may be here today, and you are in the midst of one. In fact, you are going through suffering at this very time. If you don't know how to face suffering, what happens is far from thriving, it's almost as if you want to just give up. How do we move forward in the face of such suffering and trials? Lee and Leslie Strobel uh, write of an experience of driving from Chicago to Door County, Wisconsin. And the rain was really coming down hard, but as the rain let up, there was this intense fog that kind of settled in. And as they're driving in the evening and the sun is setting, it became very difficult to see. So difficult they could barely even see the white line on the side of the highway. But uh, lo and behold, the truck just kind of very confidently passed them by on their left side. And they're like, you know, if we could just follow the lights on that truck, we're going to make it to our destination because he's going in the same direction we are. And I, I tell you this because life may right now have you in a fog and you're not sure how to move forward. The very best advice I could ever give to you on how to thrive in the midst of suffering is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I have personally found this to be most helpful. These two guiding lights that God gives us in this passage, that when we embrace them and lock onto them, friends, we can thrive even when faced with great suffering and trial. So I'd like you to take a look at it. It answers this question, how we can thrive in the face of suffering. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Let's just read it. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, 
that are coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. The first guiding light that I want to give to you that you and I really need to lock onto is this. There is purpose in our suffering. Do you see what Paul said? He says, you yourselves know. When Paul and Silvanus and Timothy showed up in Thessalonica, they told them of their experiences. In fact, it was evident in their bodies because they had been beaten and that they had gone through suffering. But I want you to see, he says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Our suffering that we went through, it it wasn't a failure. It, It certainly wasn't meaningless. And when he talks about suffering, they were treated shamefully and they had been mistreated. They had been disgracefully treated. In fact, if you want to remember Acts chapter 16 in Philippi, they were rather brutalized. They had been uh, actually beaten. Then they had been uh, uh, incarcerated. They were falsely accused. In fact, they had been incarcerated even without a, a trial, and they had actually endured all this penalty, even though they were Roman citizens. And that, that was not even mentioned. They were going through some significant hardships, and they had been released. They came from Philippi, and the very next place they came to was Thessalonica. And Paul is writing of this, and he says, you know that our coming to you was not in vain. There is purpose in our suffering. But I want you to know that when you and I are going through suffering, it can take everything out of us, can it? You need to know that as a follower of Christ, you are going to go through some difficulties in life. It could be related to work, it could be your physical health, it could be good things going on in your family, financial. I mean, there's, it's, it's widespread. It could be persecution. You need to expect some opposition and tests and trials and difficulties. They're going to come. In fact, you should, if you are a Christian in America, you should start to expect that you and I are going to actually start facing some persecution. And I want to tell you just the process that is going on in our country. This is what it looks like. This is how persecution is coming to America. In fact, it's already started. The first step is that you have to reject the Bible as the authority. And it's, it got really ramped up in the 60s, but it has been going on and on. In fact, I think it's fair to say that most people reject the Bible as the authority. They may actually answer the question, well, the Bible is the word of God, but they have no idea what, what's in it. They're not really interested in following it. It, it has no meaning. It's like they, they, they could answer the question perhaps correctly, but it has seemingly no value in their life. Once you reject the Bible as your authority, then the second thing, and this is now happening very quickly in our country, you redefine morality. It is happening at such a rate in our country that it's not, we don't talk about changes in morality in terms of decades anymore. It's almost in, almost in terms of weeks at this present time. It is changing that quickly. And then what happens is that the, a country or a culture makes tolerance 
the new virtue, especially the tolerance of the new morality. That's what's virtuous. That's what we value. And then the final one is this. You persecute any who will not go along with the new moral revolution. If you are a genuine Christian, you are going to stand at the crosshairs of what do you really believe and will you follow Jesus? And I want you to know there's going to be all sorts of pressure put upon you to compromise, to give up, to just embrace the new cultural morality that's out there. Following Jesus and a call for the gospel to speak of the fact that there is actual God is going to bring judgment upon sin, that Jesus is the only way, that is going to put you at a juxtaposition with a culture that's going in the opposite direction. But yet Christianity is the only religion that gives value to suffering. It not only uh, identifies that we're going to experience the reality of suffering, but that God actually is going to be at work in it. And so what we need to do is recognize there is purpose in our suffering. For instance, suffering develops your faith. When you and I go through suffering, God actually develops our faith. We find a greater awareness of who God is. He builds perseverance. It's because of the spiritual nature of our relationship with God. He increases our faith. You can even come to places of sweetness and joy in knowing Jesus as a result of going through suffering. Suffering isn't meaningless, and that's even what Paul is saying. You know, our coming to you, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't useless. God used this. And uh, what he's telling us there is that God will develop our faith as we go through suffering. You know, for instance, when you and I go through suffering, it models faith, what it means to follow Jesus for others who are watching, the non-believer and the believer of like. And another thing that happens as a result of suffering, when you and I go through it, it makes us far more sympathetic with others who are going through trials and suffering. And you see this, you know, like maybe when you're younger and you hear about people and they're suffering, whatever it is, physical maladies, emotional issues, relational problems, whatever it might be, and you're just like, come on, man, can't be that bad, get with it, right? But once you experience some pretty bitter medicine and some great difficulty in your life, don't you see how much more caring, loving, sympathetic you are to others who are going through difficulty? In fact, do you know that there is an eternal blessing to trust and worship Jesus while you go through difficulty. Let me give you a text, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. It says, Paul writes this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying. What's going on there? He's actually talking about physical, bodily breakdown, suffering. You mean God's going to use that? Does that, that count as suffering? Yeah, listen to what he says. He says, We don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Believing in Jesus, seeing him at work in our life, you know what? There is purpose in our suffering. Sometimes God uses suffering to prune us. So if you've got roses, for instance, 
in your yard. I want you to know that this is the time of the year to prune them in Texas, right? You always can remember that. Valentine's Day, that's when you prune your roses, okay? So, for instance, if you've got some rose bushes in your backyard, you can just leave them. And they'll just be a gangly mess, and, you know, there'll be some production there, but it's not going to be great, but whatever. You, you could leave it. That is a choice. However, if you want your rose bush to flourish and to be as productive as it can be, now is the time to prune it. And, and it, there is a right way of pruning. So if you're thinking like, oh, you know, I learned something at church today. I should prune my roses. So at halftime today, you go pull out the old lawnmower and you just run over them. Now you can do that. Uh, it's hard on the mower and it's going to be really hard on the rose bushes. Can't guarantee you're going to have a lot of success, but, you know, people do things like that. But there is a right way to prune roses. You eliminate all the ones that are going in the branches that are going in the wrong direction. Even the cut, the angle that you do it, has to be done right if you want maximum production. I tell you this, not because I'm super concerned about the roses in your backyard. I mean, I want you to have a nice backyard. But I'm actually really concerned about what God is doing in your life and that you and I understand it. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. I mean, have you ever seen roses when they're pruned? You're like, ah, there's like little sticks coming out of the ground. You've killed it. What are you thinking? You know? But I want you to know that over time, it's going to bear far more production than it ever would have had it not been pruned. Pruning is serious. It's serious to the plant. And it's serious in our lives. You know, we would think like, well, okay, if you got a fruitful branch, why would you want to cut that back? I mean, it's bearing fruit. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Yeah. But God is always in the process of bringing us to greater maturity, greater growth, more production, greater fruit. And he prunes us even when we're bearing fruit. If there's maybe times in your life where you think like, you know what? I don't think I'm ever going to thrive again. I am cut so low. I am feeling the pain so much. I don't think I'm, I'm ever going to have that flourishing. And this is real. We go through these experiences. I know I'm not alone. You need to know that God is at work. And the pruning is going to be used by him. There is purpose in our suffering. You see, suffering develops our faith. But you know what else suffering does? It draws us near to God. When we're suffering, God actually uses this suffering to draw us to himself, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Our natural inclination is not to like, oh, I, I just need to go to God with our pain. What happens is that we actually oftentimes want to just focus on that which is so painful. Or if it's someone that's hurt us, you can like kind of be focused on how you're going to bring great revenge, right? I mean, you can work yourself up into a lather over issues like this. True? You're just like, oh, and it's consuming, but what God intends through suffering is that we come to him in humility. Spurgeon said this, you can either be humble or be 
humbled. But something's going to happen. You see, it's when we come to God with humility, when we draw near to him, we see God at work in our life. If you're still kind of like, you know, I think I'm going to do life on my own program. It's all about me and my rights and what I want and how I want it. That kind of mentality. You're still walking in pride and even a little bit of hardness of heart. God has to bring you to a place of humility, and it'll be a painful process. It might look a lot like pruning. It might be the experiences of suffering, but suffering with a purpose. When you're finding yourself in those situations, what you want to do is you want to ask God, God, would you help me? Help me to learn from you. Help my heart to resonate with yours. Find a a wise believer and ask them to help you in this process. But you want to draw near to God. But you might be wondering, like, wait a second here. Can God actually bring good out of evil? Because some of the suffering that you might be going through, we could put in the category of evil. They intentionally hurt you. That coworker or that former business partner, they, they were out to destroy you. You got relatives or that may have just tried to inflict all sorts of pain. It could have been an ex-spouse. I mean, what they did, let's put it in the category. Let's call it what it is. Let's not sugarcoat it. It is evil. Can God bring good out of evil? You've got to be able to answer that question. And the answer is absolutely. For instance, remember a guy by the name of Joseph? The last half of the book of Genesis is about him. Now, Joseph is like us. He had some issues, right? Uh, He didn't want to keep his mouth shut. He had a tendency to like kind of brag about himself. It didn't help that dad made him his favorite, you know, dressed him up in this multicolored coat. You know, those things weren't necessarily helpful. So he had some issues. He wasn't perfect. He's like us. But you remember his brothers? You know, at first they thought they'd just throw him a pith. They're like, well, why don't we make some money off him? You know, and, and they did. They sold him into slavery, and, and Joseph went off. He was a slave, and then he was maligned and falsely accused, and, and then he ended up in prison, right? And he's kind of toiling away in prison. Um, you know, at any time, God could have stepped in. Why didn't he? I mean, Joseph was a good guy. He was honoring God. He didn't morally compromise. I mean, it was all available to him, but he's like, no, I fear God. Why didn't God just step in and like, no, this is a good guy, and that's enough, and we're done? I'll tell you why. Because it was through that suffering that God was shaping, molding, and fashioning Joseph, building a depth of maturity and wisdom that put him in a situation even through his experiences where God actually put him in a situation where he's the number two guy in the Egyptian empire. But it was far more than that. Do you know that God put Joseph through those experiences so that he would one day provide and care for his very brothers that sought to kill him and sold him into slavery? You know, it's like what Joseph actually explained to him. Remember Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says... He's telling his brothers, and he's looking them in the eye, and he said this, as for you, you meant evil against me. Let's call it what it is. It wasn't a misunderstanding. Oh, you were young. We were foolish, whatever. No, you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many alive. God did this. He was at work. 
I see it. You see, as you mature in your faith, you see more and more of your personal suffering and even suffering in the world fitting within the sovereignty of God as God is at work. And that was the case for him. But you know, at a far grander scale, the ultimate evil was when God sent his son, the eternal son, he enters into humanity. He lived perfection. He did miracles to demonstrate that he indeed is God. He did all sorts of healing. He had demonstrated wisdom. And it was the very people, his own people, the Jewish people, that they were pretty fickle. And they were happy to call out on an early Friday morning, crucify him, crucify him, right? He'd been rejected by the religious leaders. They were kind of working people up into a lather. Pilate, he had been already stirred, uh, gotten out of bed early, certainly got out of the wrong side of the bed. He couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. In fact, he said it on different occasions. Neither could Herod, but he wanted to be done with this. You know what he said? All right, you want to kill him? Do it. I'm washing my hands of all this, right? And so they scourged and beat Jesus. And then they made him haul his cross out to Golgotha. And then they crucified him. And it, wasn't, it didn't stop just there. They mocked him, made fun of him. Uh, called himself king, right? They gambled for his garments. Remember all that? Ultimate evil. Putting God... Jesus to death. And yet, God was at work in all of it. It didn't catch him by surprise. The most significant evil was actually the most significant and glorious event of all of history. For it is on the cross that God, the Father, poured out his just wrath on his Son. Do you know why God pours out his wrath? It's because he loves purity, holiness, he loves all that is right. Because of his great love for our purity, holiness, and all that is right, he poured out his just wrath against all unholiness and all sin. And Jesus died in our place. That is the glory of the gospel. That is why we're continually thinking of this event and thinking of him because we have been redeemed by him. Ultimate evil really was actually God's ultimate good. Friends, you need to know there is a purpose in your suffering. Hold on to that light. But let me give you the second. Kind of like that truck moving through the fog. The first light is there is purpose in our suffering. But the second is this. There is power in his presence. There is power in his presence. Do you see that in the text? Let's read it again. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not vain. It wasn't meaningless. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, here it is, you might want to underline it, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. We had boldness, we had confidence, hope, faith, courage. Where did it come from? It came from God You see, we're called into a spiritual relationship with the living God. His spirit works within us. Our confidence isn't in our circumstances. Our confidence is in who? In God himself. He gives faith. He gives love. He gives the ability to move forward. He said, in the face of much opposition, we presented to you the gospel. Oftentimes what happens is 
suffering is introduced, pain, what happens? Like a turtle, man, we're just in the shell. We lock up, we don't engage. The idea of having spiritual conversations with the lost, serving, uh, encouraging, discipling, like, nope, can't do it because why? Because I'm suffering, right? That's what happens, but that's not, with, that's not what happened with Paul and Sabanus and Timothy. They actually move forward with the gospel. Huh? How did that happen? There it is. We have the boldness in our God. There is power in his presence. And friends, the power of his presence came in the midst of, what does the text say? Much opposition, much struggle, okay? That's, that word opposition could be translated struggle. It was used of an athlete either in training or competing. You know that struggle, that agony? I mean, we're talking more than a little walk around the block. It's like you're pouring yourself out. You're not even sure if you've got enough energy for the next 10 steps. If you're an athlete and you've competed at a high level, you know that it takes everything out of you. That's the word. They had opposition. It was, they certainly had external opposition, okay? There were certainly folks like the Jewish leadership that was not a fan of calling Jesus the Messiah. They were going against the grain of the culture to say that, well, listen, there's only one way to God and all these pagan rituals that you got going on here. That's not it. Jesus is the only way. How do you think that went over? Not too well, right? Absolutely not. We're going to get rid of you. The Jews hated him. They were, they were going against the culture. Those were, that's just the external opposition. But, you know, think of the internal issues that they were facing. I mean, yeah, it's one thing to get beat up, you know, pain. But think of all the emotional difficulties and strain. People that they loved, cared for, being turned upon. Um, perhaps there was the concern of individuals having their character maligned, the pain that comes from being slandered or, or libel, the abuse that you, you experience from people that you thought like, wait a second here, I'm a fellow Jew, I'm telling you the truth, and I want you to know that that's the deep anguish. And yet, in the midst of all of that, there is power in his presence. Do you know that suffering displays character in Christ. When you and I go through suffering, it displays true character, where we're really at spiritually. You know, we all can give a modicum of expression of joy and peace and happiness when things are going well, right? I mean, when the washing machine isn't broken, your car is running, the kids are generally okay for today, right? You got a paycheck, your job's all right, school, you know, you got an A in your class, you know, and you're like, okay, I can be joyful, right? Everything, you know, it's fine, and when things are good, we can act like it's good, right? Do you know that when we really discover where we're really at spiritually, where people's real character in Christ is put on display? It's when they're not. When challenges and trials and, and suffering entered the picture, that's where you find out what you're really made of. In fact, that's what you see in others. It's not in the good times. It's in the difficult times. And what God did is that he so wanted to demonstrate the power of his presence that he had Paul, Sabanus, and Timothy, when they show up in Thessalonica, 
They show up in brokenness. And God did that to demonstrate his power through his people. Not on the strength of victor and like everywhere we go, it's just wonderful and great and we preach the gospel and thousands come and it's just awesome. Uh, No, that really wasn't the experience. A few did trust Christ, but most of them were rejecting. And not just rejecting the message, rejecting the messenger and doing it in some rather painful ways. Do you know that the suffering displays our character in Christ, but you know that suffering demonstrates the power of the gospel? We had the boldness in our God. Our confidence wasn't in our circumstances. It wasn't that we were really just really smart people and we had a clever message or we were really commanding in our way that we could present truth or very eloquent or really good-looking folks, you know, and people just like, I just got to keep looking at you. It wasn't any of that. You see, suffering demonstrates the power of the gospel. And it's God's strength that is demonstrated in our weaknesses. It's God's strength that is demonstrated in our weaknesses. That's counterintuitive. We like God's strength is demonstrated in how strong we are. But that's actually not how it works. You need a text on that? I'm going to give you 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. These are some very meaningful verses to me. Let me read them to you. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me the thorn, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me and to keep me from exalting myself. Paul writes, you know what, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. I really want to be done with this, certainly done with the experiences certainly done with these false teachers and all their accusations and how they were basically tearing up the church. But this is what God responded to him. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And Paul got the message. He went on to write, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Friends, there is power in his presence. Every time we draw near to God in prayer, we open up the word, we worship from the heart. There is sincerity in our conversations as we're encouraging one another. When we are drawing near to God, friends, there is power in his presence. We're not boasting in our strengths. We're boasting in our weaknesses. Why? Because that's where Christ is put on display. You know, the difference between God can't use me and God can use me is your reliance upon the power of his presence. God can't use me? I think you're not really giving a good look at the power that God gives his people through his spirit. You see, our confidence in God allows us to persevere through trials. And I do not want to in any way downplay the the painful experiences of human emotion when we go through difficulty. (laughs) I've I've gone through them myself. I mean, it's debilitating sometimes. But know this, it's the power of his presence that keeps us living by faith. It's looking to Jesus and fixing our eyes upon him. 
that allows us to move forward with the gospel, to serve, to love. It doesn't make sense on a human level. And folks are going to tell you just like, oh, you don't need to be doing that. You've got enough issues, you know. I want you to know it's the power of God that actually moves us to action, a willingness to serve, a willingness to give. You know, it's actually the power of his presence for us to know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You remember what happened a few years ago in Roseburg, Oregon? 2015, October 1st. Roseburg, Oregon, I'll just tell you, having been there, is one depressed place. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's, it's rough, it's tough, it's very depressed. On October 1st, 2015, Chris Harper Mercer, a 26-year-old student at Umqua Community College, walked into that school, and he killed one of his professors, eight students, and injured eight others. And how horrific this was, it was crystal clear who he was going after. He was going after Christians. You can read all the news reports because they couldn't actually sugarcoat or hide this. He was after Christians. He wasn't just having a bad day. He wasn't just mentally ill. He literally, in the reports that came, would ask, as he had those students lined up, Ask them, are you a believer in Christ? If you responded yes, he shot you in the head. One account said this when he asked, are you a Christian? When he got the yes answer, he said this, quote, good, because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second. If you answered no, or I'm I'm other, or I don't believe, or whatever, he shot you in the leg. But I tell you that there is power in his presence. It is God who allows us to stand strong, to not compromise, even at the, at the point where our life is on the line. And do you know that God is going to right every wrong? He is a God of love, and because he loves purity, he loves holiness, God in his justice is going to bring judgment. He will make all things right. And you and I, we're going to go through some suffering. But like Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, I, I do not want to deny that suffering is difficult and it's challenging and it takes sometimes everything out of us. But I will tell you that five million days into eternity, when we consider the glories of being with Christ, with his people, just the awe of all that God is, to be continually in his presence, the sufferings and the trials and the difficulties of this life, why they're simply just going to pale, just like he said. You know, you might ask, well, hey, listen, if God can vanquish evil, and he can dress sin, and he can deal justice, he's God, why doesn't he do it right now in these situations? Why doesn't he deal with it in our country or in my particular situation? I'll tell you this, just because he hasn't does not mean that he will not. All you have to do is read the book of Revelation to see that God moved in his love is going to bring justice and he will right every wrong. 
And do you know that he is, like it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, that he is going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. He is going to deal with it. He's even going to deal with our hearts. He's going to wipe away every tear. And so what we want to do is remind ourselves that God is good and that he is sovereign. If you are going through a difficulty right now, you're suffering, can I recommend Psalm 46? Write it out. This is the psalm that tells us that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. The Lord of the hosts is the Lord of the armies. He's with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Remember, like he says in verse 10, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on the earth. We're in relationship with the living God, the one true king, the God of the universe. And there is power in his presence. And even when we cannot know God's ways, we can always trust his heart. Even when you cannot know God's ways, you can always trust his heart. Remember uh, Leslie and Lee as they're driving from Chicago to Door County, Wisconsin? When they uh, kept following this truck, those following those two lights... Uh, They eventually came to a town that had more lights on, and the fog started to lift and dissipate. And he said this, we were driving through this town, uh, we noticed that there was this church that had a steeple, that had a, a light on its cross. And he said, you know, for us, it really struck us with the poignancy. Having been driving in the fog for so long, following these two lights in the back of this truck, it reminded us that that cross That is the cross in which Jesus conquered the world for us. Friends, that is where we find our hope. Not in understanding, not in having all the answers. I want you to know that for us, Jesus is the answer. God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. It is his incarnation. When you and I go through suffering, we got really two choices. If you turn away from God, you succumb to the bitterness, what's going to happen is it's going to contort you and affect you in some pretty traumatic ways. Mighty explain what's going on in your own life, but it's going to affect all of your relationships. You could even become toxic. But on the other hand, if you draw near to God and you hold on to Him, not because you have all the answers, but because you know who he is and that he has you and that he loves you, you can experience the power of his presence. Jesus said, John 16, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You see, God doesn't give us all the answers, but what he does and what makes the one true faith so glorious is that God is with us in the midst of it. He sees us through. He understands our pain. He shepherds us and cares for us. He keeps calling us to rest in his love and to trust him. And as we do, we realize there is purpose in our suffering and there's power in his presence.
It's like it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We draw near to him. So when you come to suffering in your life, there's just a few things that will be very helpful. First, identify it. Just call it what it is. Second, embrace it. Recognize I'm in suffering, but there is a purpose in my suffering and there's power in his presence. And third, thank God for all that he is doing and your seeing and how he's at work in the midst of these difficulties. Ask this question, Lord, what would you have me learn going through these challenges, this trial, this suffering? It's tearing me up. It's tearing me apart. But what would you have me learn? You see, there is power, the power of God's presence allows us to know that there is purpose in our suffering. So as we're going through the trials and suffering, maybe you feel like, well, I don't, I'm doing pretty good right now. I can assure you, you'll have trials and suffering. And for those of you who are going through it right now, lock on to these two guiding lights. There is purpose in our suffering, and there is power in his presence, and he'll see us through the darkest of nights. Let's pray.